Hello, beloved community. Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we explore what sacred Jewish and Christian texts have to teach us about healing ourselves, building relationships, practicing solidarity, and living into our ethics in the world we inhabit today that is so shaped by the project of empire, politics of domination, and violence, both spiritual and physical. More importantly, we dream about what our spirited response to that oppression can be. The music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are so, so grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. My name is Haven Heron, and I am a part of this project of Surge Faith because I am curious how our sacred texts can be read as living, breathing tools of the here and now for white folks committed to collective liberation. I serve as the director of Soul Force, a 20-year-old LGBTQI organization dedicated to sabotaging Christian supremacy and reclaiming our spirits. I personally come to this work as a white person and artist and dancer and earth tender who knows that resistance to white supremacy is a significant part of healing my own soul. I am recording this today on my way home to Salem, Massachusetts. Those are the original lands of the Nahum Cake tribe. In that vein, I want to take a moment to honor the ancestors and spiritual keepers of this land and invite you to do the same with a simple practice. Settle into your skin. Feel where you sit. Take a few deep breaths. In your mind's eye or with your voice, call in your ancestors. Just name the people who formed you, who have guided you, who continue to inspire you. A nod to what who, what, and who came before, I think, aligns us with appreciation and openness, which in turn feels like an, an orientation toward honoring the ancestors of the land you live on, named and unnamed, known and unknown, as my co-organizer Reverend Alba Onofrio says. We thank the original keepers of the land for accompanying us in our work today if they so choose. Before we dig into the text, I want to make plain that this podcast is designed for white people. I'm being explicit here about my responsibility to show up for and with other white folks to learn and act in coordinated resistance to white supremacy. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. In a moment, you're going to hear some more from that beautiful movement choir, but I want to give just a taste of where we are headed today before the break. It is the week of Epiphany in which Christians celebrate the transformation, in the eyes of the outside world, of Jesus, from Mary and Joseph's son into the King of the Jews. This takes place during the pivotal visitation of the Magi, the focus of our common lectionary reading today, Matthew 2, 1-12. That God had been made flesh wasn't a revelation to Jesus or his family but it certainly was a before and after kind of moment for the powers and principalities of their world.
The first theme I want to talk about today in the context of the epiphany is what I affirmingly call other ways of knowing, or alternative kinds of knowledge around which people construct their cosmologies, allegiances, and values. I love that the Magi are astrologers from the East, likely Babylon or Persia. The telling of this story in popular culture now almost skips over the fact of their astrological expertise, as it's a way of knowing that is rarely afforded the respect it once was. The Magi, or wise men, have been looking to the skies, notating the stars and scrutinizing the heavens for meaning, a meaning derived not from a book or human authority, but from a deeply grounded sense of human's place within the cosmos. When they travel from the east to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem, they bring with them the spiritual power of earth elements, frankincense, myrrh, and gold, distinctly Arabian and distinctly expensive. By weight, the two resins from the Boswellia and Comifora trees were more expensive than the gold even. Not only burned for religious purposes in the temples, they were also prized for their healing properties. Antiseptic, anti inflammatory, and analgesic, they were a useful remedy for so many ailments. These plant allies draw a straight line between the grounded body and the heavens with their smoke. This feels like a world away from where we live now. I meditate on what is lost if the earth and skies are not permitted to be sources of knowledge, of prophecy, of God's message. I meditate on what it means if our plant allies are not allowed to be spiritual beings and offer their wisdom and healing. I meditate on why these worlds of Christianity and other ways of knowing are drifting farther apart, often posed as adversaries even. When the valid sources of knowledge or communications with the divine are narrowed, they are more open to influence and co-optation. The story of the Magi at heart is a story about recognizing, quote-unquote, other sources of power and valuing one's inner source of knowing to respect that power. King Herod calls the Magi to his palace in Jerusalem. They explain to him the omen of the star in the sky and, according to the text, very bluntly and very bravely, tell Herod there's a new king of the Jews. So respected were the Magi, we can suppose, that King Herod did not have them killed. Powerful and tyrannical as he was, he was fearful or humble enough to listen to their advice. Herod sends out the Magi to find this child and then return to him with the news of the child's whereabouts. When they find Jesus, probably around two years old, living in the city of Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph, they are so convinced of the divinity of the young child that they defy the fearsome power of Herod and, quote, return home by another road. Just imagine what must have been so convincing in the actions of a toddler that the wise men risk their lives to defy Herod. Jesus is not yet possessed of his brilliant oratory or phenomenal high-low diplomacy, I doubt. But something in the hearts or guts of the Magi implores them to to betray all conventional power and wealth and threat of death, for what must have been a transcendent level of knowing that this child was God and a fulcrum point between an old world and the new one to come. Dreams, especially those brought by angelic beings, are also consistently a swirl in the Epiphany narrative. Magi are not only astrologers, but interpreters of dreams. 
in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel tells Mary that she will give birth to Jesus. In Matthew 1 verse 20, an angel soothes Joseph, telling him that his betrothed is pregnant by way of the Holy Spirit. And directly after the Magi depart from their home in Bethlehem, once again an angel appears in a dream to Joseph and tells him to go with his wife and small child to Egypt to flee the impending violence of King Herod. And finally, it is an angel that tells Joseph in yet another dream that it is safe to return to his homeland to live in Nazareth. The story of Epiphany encourages in me an expansive sense of where valid knowledge, theology, and prophecy can come from. The stars, the plants, dreams, and angels, they all played a role in this most pivotal moment that not only establishes Jesus as the Son of God in a very public way, but also the politics that are bound up in that enfleshing. Without them, the story of the Epiphany would not unfold in the portentous way that was foretold. In Matthew 1, the author takes the time to lay out the lineage of 14 generations that bring us to this moment of Jesus' birth, marking the patriarchs and the critical events and moments that make the Messiah possible. This means that he is not just any child. His life is intentional, constructed, and specific, which means that there is gravity to the context into which he was born. Mary and Joseph, strangers in a strange land after being called back to the lands of his father by Caesar Augustus's census, a tax-collecting endeavor as much as anything. A small, poor family pitted against the might and fire of King Herod. A family once again sent into exile in Egypt, running through the night with few belongings to a new place where they knew no one to save themselves from the powers and principalities bent on murder. Jesus came to tell his story with his body, his brown skin color, his parentage, his location, his words. But he did not come to say that only he, with all of that come from, was the only valid source of knowledge and connection to the divine. I would argue that his embodiment was an instruction for all, that from the margins comes great wisdom, that we must trust even the smallest voice, that the whole of the earth and heavens are here to speak, not only the books and the authorities who uphold the rules within them. Three other children are deeply on my mind this week of the Epiphany. Claudia Patricia Gomez Gonzalez, Jacqueline Cal Maquin, and Felipe Alonso Gomez. As we did earlier, please take a moment to say their names out loud, for they are ancestors too soon. Children, brown like Jesus, from families struggling against powers and principalities that promised death, just like Mary and Joseph transgressing borders, and seeking safety. These three children all died at the hands of immigration and customs agents this year in the United States. The story of Epiphany implores us to recenter power and knowing back into our bodies, 
especially those who have accrued the wisdom of what it means to live beyond borders. Imagine how different things would be at the border of the United States if the powers and principalities of this country would humble themselves and recognize that God may very well be speaking, through dreams, through plants, through angels, through omens, to the children and their families who are being detained and jailed and denied asylum. What if God is telling them to seek refuge from violence, violence so often the result of military and political intervention by the United States in the first place? What if the next time someone gives you any kind of defense for ICE, or for refusing immigrants traveling in the caravan, or for separating families at the border, you said, I believe God may very well have inspired the children and their families to seek refuge. Can we still allow for a living God like that? Can the politics of the body that surround the epiphany itself continue to shape our cosmology today? Can we allow for a source of knowledge that is not the rules and regulations of a tyrannical bureaucracy? The National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights is a very solid hub for leaning into a theology of safe passage. They have programming that includes educational resources, divestment campaigns, and petitions. They also aggregate volunteer opportunities that touch on everything from water access to legal aid. I will include a link to their volunteer page in the transcript for this podcast. Borders and walls backed by guns and Herod-like authority are an affront to the central revelation that serves as the basis for Christianity. According to the story of the Epiphany, the revelation is not complete without deliverance, without being welcomed, rescued, healed, and reconnected with community. Thank you for joining me today, my final installment of the Word is Resistance podcast. I began in May of 2018 with the story of Pentecost and I closed with the Epiphany. Fitting moments in the Bible for my theology that strains toward the wonder of other ways and mystery. I am so grateful to Serge for inviting me in. You can find out more about Serge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search for the word is resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available on the website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Thanks to our sound editor, Max Pearl. I wish you a joyful renewal and sense of wonder today and every day. Right.